Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Today on our podcast, we hear our sermon from this weekend, the second Sunday of Epiphany. Our scripture for this weekend was Acts chapter 3 through Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Thanks for listening. Let's get growing. At some point in time, just looking at you guys, you were probably in elementary school. And when you were in elementary school, about that time when boys started noticing girls and girls started noticing boys you experienced something a little bit different. You were on the playground, and that girl ran up and pushed you. Or that little boy ran up and pulled your hair, or someone pinched you, or someone giggled when you walked by, and it didn't make you feel that great. So you did what every kid did. You went to the teacher and said, this is what happened. I got pinched, I got shoved, I got teased. And the teacher looked at you and said something very strange. She said, well, that's because they like you. That's because they think you're cute. That's because they have a crush on you. They're treating you this way. Now, here's the reality. The teacher didn't actually know what was motivating them. They might have had a crush on you, but they might have also hated you. Or maybe they were just having a bad day and you were the first person they saw on the playground and they thought, Wouldn't it be fun to get rid of a little bit of this energy by shoving this person into the dirt? We don't actually know. The teacher was just guessing and assuming the best. You see, the truth is, as humans, we're not really good at reading minds. We're definitely not good at reading motives. And as you've grown up, it doesn't get any better. I mean, for all of you who are married, all of you who have friendships, it doesn't matter. You've experienced some things like this. I know if you're married, you've probably experienced this for sure. Your wife gives you a whole laundry list of things that need to get done before the evening activities or before that trip. And somehow she walks in at the brief moment when you're sitting on the couch. And she looks at you. And I don't know what she said, but it didn't make you very happy because she said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be working. Now the truth is, you maybe had been working hard the entire day but you were taking just a little break for yourself. Or you'd been working hard the entire day, but you got a phone call and you thought, I need to focus on this phone call, so I'm gonna sit down on the couch while I talk, and you just hung up, and of course, right as you just hung up and were about to pop back up, in walks your wife, and she starts scolding you. Because she's trying to read your motives, and she's assuming the worst of you, and what happens? Huge fight. Because we don't like it when people read our motives. How about this? doesn't matter if you're married. You've experienced this before. Someone looks at you and they say, what's wrong with you? Are you mad? Now, your day has been great until that statement. And as soon as they make that statement of what's wrong with you or why are you mad or why are you upset, instantly 
You are mad and you are upset because when we try to read people's motives, it does not go well because we are not gifted in this area. Well, last week, I was gone, but Pastor Eric did a great job of guiding you into our new sermon series called Transform Communities. And right away, he guided you into a piece of history, a conversation, the last conversation between Jesus and his disciples. You see, the disciples had assumed his motives and assumed what was about to happen next. You see, they thought that now that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead, that he was going to go and sit on a throne. He was going to throw off the shackles of the Roman government. He was going to be an earthly king, and the whole world would be blessed by the benevolent rule of the Israelites. But that's not what Jesus was going to do. And he wanted to be crystal clear what his purpose and intent for his reign truly was going to be. So this is what he said to them. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, his goal was not for them to sit comfortably in Jerusalem or sit comfortably in Israel and have people come to them and just feel the benevolent nature of the Israelites. No, no, no. What they did know was he was about to go to heaven and he was giving them a mission statement, a purpose, a point for existing, a point that we still hold on to today as future Christians in this storyline, that we have a mission to share God's story with the world. And he wanted to be crystal clear with them what he wanted of them. Now, the good news for you and the good news for me is that the disciples were incredibly good at what they did. And this is why thousands of years later, we're in an unknown land to them, talking about this Jesus, talking about the story that they told to everyone they came in contact with. Well, throughout this series, we're going to see something really impressive. We're going to see how the disciples, the messengers of God, transformed their communities and ultimately transformed the world by sharing this story with everyone that they ran into. And so we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. And time after time after time, it's going to keep popping up this phrase. And numbers were added. Numbers were added. And in one of those instances we run into today in Acts 3 when it says this. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Simon's portico, utterly astonished. So we run into this piece of history, and we just know that Peter and John, which were disciples of Christ, they're standing there, and some guy is holding on to them for some reason. Now, if we back up in the story, if we back up in Scripture, we're going to see why. This guy that's clinging to them was a man that was lame from birth. He was unable to walk since childhood. And his friends cared about him, and there was no welfare system at the time, and so they would carry him to the temple, and they would lay him at the gate called Beautiful. And as the Jewish people would enter into the temple, and then move from the section reserved for Gentiles, and into the section only reserved for Jewish people, they would walk past this guy. And he would ask the same question, time in and time out. Do you have some money that I can use? Do you have some money so I can eat and survive and take care of my family if he had a family. And that was his role. That was his welfare system. He was hoping that people would be benevolent and care for him. And so people knew this guy. 
And when Peter and John walked in and interacted with this man, he asked them the same question. Do you have silver and gold? Do you have some sort of money that I can use to feed myself? And they said, no. We don't have any money for you, but we have something better. So just stand up. And they performed this amazing miracle through the power of Christ. And this man who has never walked his entire life stands up. And he's filled with joy and excitement. And he's clinging on to Peter and John because what else would you do if you could walk for the first time but just celebrate? And people took notice. And people started looking because this man who they had walked past hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times was standing. Was this a miracle? Was this sort of some sort of amazing scam this guy had been running for a long period of time? And so the crowd started gathering. And as the crowd gathered, this is what Peter did. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. You Israelites, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? You see, when Peter saw the crowds, he was going to take advantage of this opportunity. He was going to point the crowds to Jesus. But he also understood that people are not good with understanding or assuming motives. See, the people had come up with these, these false notions that Peter and John were somehow powerful in and of themselves. Like they had some sort of miraculous gifting that no one else had. Or they assumed that they were very, very righteous. They were very, very pious, and that's why they could do this. But Peter wanted them to know exactly what had happened. And so he says this, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors. You see, if he would have just stopped there, the gathering of Jewish people would have been perfectly content with what he was saying. Because what he was saying was, the God that you have worshipped your whole life, the God that has reflected this temple, the God that you have sacrificed to, this is where this power came from. But he didn't stop there. He said something that was quite offensive to them. He continued the conversation by saying this, this God has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and rejected in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. Peter was not pulling any punches. He said the power was from Jesus. You guys remember Jesus? Jesus was the guy that you put on trial, and even Pilate said he was innocent. But despite that, you still rejected him? And Peter goes on, even gets a little bit more calloused. He says, but you rejected the holy and righteous one, and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Remember, guys, how you sent Jesus to Pilate? Remember how Pilate found nothing wrong with him? Remember how Pilate came up with this really creative way to release Jesus? He brought up a horrible, calloused murder in front of you and said, I'm going to release one. I'll either put the murderer to live in your community. I'm going to put the murderer back near your children, your friends, your spouse, or I'll release Jesus to live among you. Jesus, who maybe he said some things that upset you, but he's never hurt anyone. So here are your options. And the people chose Barabbas. The people chose Barabbas. And Jesus was put on the cross to die. And Peter and John said, 
We were witnesses. We saw this transpire. We saw the whole storyline. And more than likely, people in that conversation had heard about it. Maybe some had even seen it. So Peter goes on. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. See, Peter starts proving to them the power and truth of Jesus. And he says, it's Christ alone who has healed this man. And it's undeniable. This man who you have seen year after year after year begging because he can't walk is standing. Some of you have known him his entire life and now he's standing among you. This is undeniable power. Power worth paying attention to. This story of Jesus. Could it be true? I mean, look at the man who has never walked before standing amongst you. And Peter goes on. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. See, Peter's been pretty harsh so far, but now he's kind of dialing it back. He wants to connect. He wants them to know the truth beyond a doubt. He says, I know that you acted in ignorance. I know that you didn't know any better. You didn't know that this was God in the flesh. Of course you didn't know. Of course your rulers didn't know, because if you really knew this was Jesus, if you knew this was the Messiah, if you knew this was God walking among you, you wouldn't have put him on trial. You wouldn't have put him on the cross. Because you would have never, no one would ever, behave this way if they knew the truth. So Peter continues the conversation. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. And Peter once again begins to prove to them, now through the prophets, through the predictions that Jesus is who he said he was. And he points back to Isaiah, a prophet they were familiar with, predictions of the Messiah that they were familiar with, things they had been taught throughout their lives. So remember in Isaiah, 700 years before this moment, remember how Isaiah said he'd be lifted up high and marred and whipped and scourged and be disfigured? Doesn't that seem to line up with Jesus' story? Doesn't that seem to make sense? See, he wanted the people to see who Jesus really was. So he kept talking with them. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see, Peter's heart was truly not to attack them for what they had done or attack them for their failings. He wanted them to experience new life. So he said, repent. Turn from where you've been. Turn from these errors that you've known you've had made and turn and trust in God so he can change you, so he can transform you. So Peter goes on. And that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is, Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Once again, he proves it to him. Look at the prophecies. Look at all the prophecies. All the prophecies about the Messiah. Isn't it interesting that all of them connect directly with Jesus? 
That's undeniable. So he keeps this conversation going. and says, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you, from your own people, a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you. So now he points at Moses. We're talking thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years before this moment. He says, look, the Messiah is going to come through you, your lineage. He's going to be a Jewish man just like Jesus. And when he comes, you better listen. And he goes on. And it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the people. See, Peter cared enough to tell them the truth, the truth that Christ had told them as disciples when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. So Peter shares a harsh truth with them, that you will be rooted out, you will be removed unless you are connected to God through Jesus, his conduit of salvation. So Peter continues and says, And all the prophets, as many as have spoken, from Samuel and those after him, also predicted these days. Once again, he says, Look, every prophet, every prophet you've heard of, every prophet you've read, every prophecy you've been taught, look at it. It all points to Christ. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, way back, way back, way back, God made a promise to Abraham. A promise that it was being fulfilled. A promise that was coming true and they were seeing it in their eyes. That Jesus came to bless the whole world. And that through his sacrifice on the cross, every person would be blessed. And this is what happens next. He says, when God raised up his servants... He sent them first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. You see, they were arrested not because of the miracle. They were arrested not because they were being nice. They were arrested because they were talking about Jesus. But this was the result of their conversations. It says, but many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. See, we see some amazing things in the book of Acts. What started off as a small group of 100 people began to grow and grow and grow and grow because Jesus gave them a clear commandment. Go tell my story. And when they told the story, people's lives were changed. You see, there's a problem that easily creeps into the church. There's a truth that we know, but a truth that's really uncomfortable when we apply it to our faith and what we know about God, and it's this. That people, we're not good at reading motives. People are not good at reading motives. See, the problem is sometimes we assume that people are really good at reading motives, especially when it comes to our faith, because it's convenient 
and nice. In fact, we even have little memes online or, or little statements we see on, on billboards or on bumper stickers, things like this. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Oftentimes we associate this with a, an early Christian leader called St. Francis of Assisi. But there's a problem with this statement. One, he never said it. Two, it's not true. You see, the Apostle Paul, even if St. Francis said this, the Apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever seen, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said this statement. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? See, the truth is, people are not good at reading motives. And this means a harsh truth for us as believers. That being nice does not communicate the message clearly. Two years ago, my wife and I, we bought a house in Rock Falls. And this amazing thing happened. It snowed. But before we awoke, somehow all the snow from our driveway went awake. It was amazing. It was like a snow miracle. And we noticed that for two years, every time it snowed, somehow our driveway was perfectly clear. It was amazing. Sometimes we were gone on a trip and we'd come home and our driveway was clear. Sometimes we'd wake up and our driveway was clear. Sometimes this little green tractor would appear and clean off our driveway. It was amazing. Until this year. No little green tractor came. And you remember that first snow? How much snow that was and how heavy that snow was? I expected this little green tractor to appear miraculously and clean my driveway, but it never did. But every time it appeared or every time it didn't appear, my wife and I had this conversation. We said, who is that person and what are they doing? Who's that person and what's driving them? You see, the truth is, we don't know. We don't know who it is and we don't know why they do it. We don't know if they're a Christian. We don't know if they're Jewish. We don't know if they're Mormon. We don't know if they're Islamic. We don't know anything about this person. I've caught a glimpse of him. I know it's a guy. That's all I know. I do not know his motivation to do it or to not do it. It's always a surprise. See, the truth is this. When it comes to our faith, it's the same thing. We can do nice things, but without explaining why we're doing it, without talking about Jesus, those people are going to be just as confused as I am when that guy cleans my driveway. They're never going to know why you're treating them nice, why you bought them lunch, why you brought them a pie, why you made them a quilt. They're never going to know unless you tell them. So as you navigate this new year, as you navigate this week, preach the gospel at all times. And when necessary, do nice things. You don't